Okay, so I'm going on from where Rita read in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10, going to 2.4. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, but you will roll them out like a robe, like a garment they will be changed. But you will remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? We must pay more attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified, testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. May God bless this word. Okay, can you all hear me well? Everyone in the back? Well, there we go. Okay, good. Can I just say uh, thank you so much for the privilege of uh, being invited to speak here this morning. Uh, I'm really looking forward to coming to this church next year and to to serve alongside you all, uh, to get to know you a little better. Uh, and I'm also looking forward to just being in a local church. I've been commuting for 30 minutes uh, every week, and, and that's not that uncommon, I suppose, but I'm only five minutes down the road, and I'm looking forward a lot to just being local and to being able to invite people to my house from church. So uh, let's uh, come before God's word now with prayer before uh, I speak. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, Uh, Some of us have come here this morning, perhaps with uh, worries on our hearts, Uh, family issues, work issues, health issues, whatever is going on in our lives, Lord. There are many things that so easily distract us and occupy our our hearts. And so, Father, uh, for the next uh, 20 or so minutes, uh, would you help just calm our hearts? Would you help our our hearts and our minds just to be able to focus now? To put aside all our worries and concerns and things that are bothering us. And to just be able to hear you speak through your word. And Lord, would you uh, encourage us with your living word this morning. Uh, Change us by your spirit. And God, may this all be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I want to put a question before you this morning. How do we navigate persecution? Towards the the end of my first year of university, God brought me to faith. And I came home to the country all zealous for God. And the whole family got to hear about Jesus. And as you see, they are all lapsed Catholics. So they weren't so interested in hearing all about Jesus. And what I was about to experience took me by surprise. It was as if I was a deer 
before the headlights of a car. I had no idea what was about to descend upon me. I was bombarded with questions that I just had no answers to. My uncle, he's a smart man, and he began to ask me really hardball questions about the Bible, about suffering, about miracles. I hadn't thought about those things. I was 19 years old. I'd read the Bible. I'd gone to church, and I just embraced it. It made sense, and I was excited. I hadn't thought deeply about the Christian faith. The more I tried to continue following Jesus, the more I experienced the rejection of my family. I was seriously starting to doubt what it is that I'd embraced. So what did I do? What I did was I started to look back. I started to look back towards the old way that I saw the world. You see, when I lived then, it was easier. There was no persecution. There was no confusion. There were no problems. I had more confidence in my old way of seeing the world. And friends, this is very similar to the issue the first hearers of the Hebrews faced. These people were Jews and they'd recently embraced Christ. And we learn in chapter 10 that these people were experiencing heat for their newfound faith. And like me, the Hebrews were tempted to look back, to look back to Judaism. You see, they trusted Moses. They trusted the prophets. It was safer. They wouldn't get victimised for being Jews in the Roman Empire. I wonder how many of us are experiencing something similar to this right now. Maybe, maybe a number of years ago, uh, you left the church and you've come back. And the way you see the world has begun to shift. Your, your friends, well, they think you're incredibly narrow now. You're not used to this rejection that you're experiencing and you're beginning to wonder... Maybe it's easier to go back to the way I used to think and live. Maybe you've, you've decided to take a stand for traditional marriage. And perhaps your daughter has gay friends. Or perhaps even more, she's gay herself. And now she's starting to distance herself from you. You're losing contact with your baby. You're losing contact with your grandchildren. Isn't it tempting in such a horrible time to reconsider your stance? Can you feel the weight of this? Jesus is asking us to stand firm, to not look back to our old ways, our old beliefs, our old life, and sometimes the cost of that is astronomical. Every life issue that we are faced with finds a solution in this. And friends, our solution is found in Hebrews in the first two chapters. And in a sentence, this is what it says. Look to the sun. Look to the sun. And it says it in three ways. 
Look to the Son who reveals God. That's our first point, verses 1 to 4. The second is this. Look to the Son who is superior, verses 5 to 14. And our third point is this. Look to the Son or drift to destruction. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. In a sentence, don't look back. Look to the Son. You know, it's always helpful to get a bird's eye view of any book in the Bible that we're exploring. So what is happening in this book called Hebrews? We've already heard that it was written to a group of converts, of converted Jews who are facing temptation to turn back to their old ways. But what's interesting is that this is not a letter. This is a sermon. This is a sermon to these people. And the preacher, he's making four big statements about Jesus Christ, the Son. And in each statement, he shows how the Son is superior. He's superior to all the previous messengers, like the angels. That's our first section today. He's superior to all the leaders in the past, like Moses. He's superior to all previous mediators, like the great high priests of old. And he's superior to all previous sacrifices, like those given in the Old Testament times. And in each of those statements, he gives a warning. And it's a warning to keep following Jesus amidst persecution, no matter the cost. And so that is our flyover, if you will, of Hebrews. Now let us consider how this passage answers our problem. Look to the Son who reveals God. Jesus is the final and he is the most recent revelation of God. It's right there in the text. Look at it with me. Look at verse 2. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things. What comes after this is equally important. Here is the summary. Jesus is the heir of everything. Jesus created the world. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact imprint of God's nature and he upholds the entire universe by his word. I mean, it's clear as day, isn't it? God used, God used to speak in different ways through the prophets, but now in these last days he's spoken through his son, Jesus. He speaks through the one who, who owns the world, the one that helped create the world, the one who radiates God's glory, the one who perfectly reflects his nature, and the one who holds the entire universe in himself. During college mission, uh, the boys and I went to Mandra in Western Australia. And one of my mates, Luke and I, we spent every morning at about 7am walking around the streets of Mandra doing letterbox dropping. And as I'm swatting flies off my face, I'm noticing all these really nice cars in the neighbourhood. Now Luke used to design V8 engines in, in Geelong for Ford. And so he started speaking about the last car he helped build. It's called the FGX Falcon. I think there's a picture up in the... There it is on the wall. Do you know, he told me this is the final car they made. For 56 years, Ford has uh, shaped and reshaped and reinvented 
that car you see above there, a classic, iconic Aussie car, there was always a new revelation coming. But it's all finished, hasn't it? Ford is closing their factories. This is the final model. It is like the sun, you see. God has spoken in different ways, in different models, if you like. But when Christ came, that was it. He is the FGX of God's revelation to man. And you know, that car is not the most popular shape. Apparently, it's not liked by many Ford fans. You see, the Ford enthusiasts, they look back. They look back to the, all the previous models and they say, they say, why can't we go back to the old design, to the old shape? They're very similar to the first century Jews who attempted to go back to the earlier model, to the old covenant. You see, it wasn't controversial. You could go down the streets in peace. People wouldn't bother you. God is saying, was saying to them, he is saying to us this morning, this isn't an option. You need to listen to all the revelations from God, but most especially the final one. Now, here's the thing. Some of us this morning have lived through a time in Australia when being a Christian was normal. You were either a Protestant or a Catholic. And that was that. Nothing was said. You weren't, you weren't victimised for your faith or ostracised for your beliefs. You didn't really need to take a true stand because people weren't really questioning it. But those days are gone, friends, aren't they? This country is a radically different place. Most of the younger generations have abandoned the religion of their parents and their grandparents. Why? They think religion is oppressive. It's intolerant. It's unfashionable. It's narrow. It's not diverse. Like I suggested earlier, there might be some of us who never really embraced Christianity for ourselves growing up. We went to church because our parents made us, or perhaps because it was socially appropriate, it was normal. But it wasn't real to us, it wasn't genuine. And in recent times that might have changed. And now there's a passion that you have now that you never had back then. And maybe this is starting to change some of your attitudes. Attitudes towards money, attitudes towards marriage. Your priorities are shifting and people in your life are complaining like my family was when I became a Christian. The message for, for us is this. Don't do what the Hebrews did. Don't do what I did when I first embraced Christ. Don't look back to the old way. Stand firm and you hold the line and you look to the sun. If we can fight the temptation to look back, Instead of looking forward to the revealed sun, friends, we will find the strength to endure the battles that lie ahead of us. Well, that was point one. This is point two. Look to the superior sun. The sun is revealed, but he is superior. Have a glance at the middle section of chapter one with me. And just look at the contrast that the preacher makes between two people or entities, Jesus and the angels. 
Verse 5. Angels have never been told, you are my son. Verse 5. But Jesus has. Verse 6. The angels are to worship Jesus. And then verses 7 to 12. Angels get made into wind and fire, but the Son is considered God. His throne is forever. His creation is temporary, but he is eternal. Now, if you're anything like me, you probably don't really find that that captivating. Okay, the Son is better than angels. Why does that matter? Well, when you, when you read your Bible, as I had, when I prepared this sermon, you actually begin to care and you realise the significance of this. Listen to these words out of Galatians 3.19 with me. Just listen. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. You see, God revealed himself to his people through angels and prophets. And the hearers of this passage, 2,000 years ago, they trusted in the message that those angels helped to reveal. You see, their revelation, it stood the test of time for centuries. But they weren't so sure about Jesus. When the pressure was on, when the cost of following Jesus was growing, the temptation, the pull to go back to what they always knew, the old covenant, was incredibly powerful. It needed to be spelt out to them. that The one that they were beginning to turn back to was inferior to the Lord Jesus. To look to the angels' revelation and authority, it's just not... And enough. To borrow from my uh, car analogy earlier, it's a little bit like a guy, right, who who uh, who wants to use the first 1960s XK Falcon as a car to drive his grandkids in. Can you can I see that picture up again, um, boys? Ben, there's the one on the right there. That's the first, I think, the first Falcon that was ever made. Now this car, it has no ABS, right? If you're on a fast road in the wet, it's not going to slow down very quickly. There are no airbags. There are no crumple zones if you get in an accident. Even front seat belts were optional back then. Can you just imagine putting the grandkids in and, and, and uh, your daughter finding out that they're going in that thing? There just wouldn't be a way possible. She wouldn't have a bar of it. When you compare it to the newest model, you just would not go back. Now, as trivial as that might be to the situation in the text, the parallel stands. Why would you go back to the Torah alone, revealed by angels, when the Son and his revelation is so much more superior? When the Son is superior to the angels in authority, it just doesn't make sense. So it doesn't make sense to go back to the authority of angels when we now have the superior son, but how does this apply to you and me? We are in Melbourne in 2017. I dare say most of us do not come from a Jewish background. And most of us, if not all of us, are just simply not tempted to go back to the Torah. So what is the connection for us? In my intro, I listed several ways in which we might be tempted 
to go back to our old beliefs. You see, you and I know we were all at one point in our life enemies of Christ. And during that time, we saw the world in quite a different way. And you, you already heard about the way in which I, I turned back to my old ways for a season when persecution came. And do you know what? Each of you, at some point in your life, either now or in the future, will experience something of that. I don't need to convince you, do I? Each year in this country, it's becoming harder and harder and harder to call yourself a Christian and own Christ for yourself. So if you feel convinced that this is something that affects you, maybe you're sitting there right now and you're wondering, how can I learn to cope with this mounting pressure? And friends, the way forward, it's actually a little bit counterintuitive. You see, the answer lies in self-examination. Let me explain. The way we react to persecution... It stems from what we worship. If you've ever felt the desire to go back to your old beliefs, it's worth asking why. Why did I feel the desire to look back? And invariably what you'll find is this. You will find something that you idolise, perhaps several things. And I dare say that the two most common ones are these. The desire to be accepted and the desire... Uh, sorry, and the, the, the sin of pride. Just, look, just consider my story, okay? When I came to faith, the first thing that happened back home was rejection. Do you know what my grandmother said to me? She's the matriarch of my family. And she said, Bryce, you are no longer part of the family. Twice. She raised me. She was my second mother. Do you know what that felt like? I love my family and I did not want to be rejected by them. And there's something that's good about that, of course, natural. But I idolised being accepted and loved by them too much. And here's the second one. Ever since about year nine, I valued my intellect. I don't pretend to be an intellectual, but I do like to think about things. I value that. And especially when I was in school and at university, I did. When I became a Christian, my uncle asked me questions I had no idea how to answer. And what do you think that did to my pride? It wasn't enjoyable, not one bit. I felt like a fool. And that was another reason why I was sorely tempted to let go of Christ. We need to dig deeper, friends. We need to dig deep to work out what it is that drives us when we're tempted to look back. We need to know why it is we respond in certain ways when we're under persecution of some sort. And when we do this, when we're able to achieve that, and we repent of those, those idols, then we have the ability. That's when we have the ability to not look back, but to look forward to the sun. So we've been called this morning to look to the sun. We've considered uh, the need to look to the revealed sun who is the final revelation of God. The need to look to the superior sun who is greater than angels. 
But we need to look at the consequences if we don't. Here comes, uh, here comes that warning that I mentioned earlier. Turn with me to chapter 2, if you will, and look at the very first word. I use ESV here. I think it's similar in other translations. Therefore, therefore pay careful, or rather much closer, attention. Why? Well, to avoid drifting. What's wrong with drifting? Well, the message declared by the angels proved reliable. Every act of transgression and disobedience was dealt with retribution. So if you drift, looking back instead of looking to the sun, won't you be in even greater trouble than those before Christ? How can we escape if we ignore such a great salvation as we have? It was declared by the Lord. It was attested by those who heard and it was witnessed by God through signs, wonders, miracles and gifts of the Spirit. This is what he's saying. He's saying, if you value the tradition of Moses... If you know how the lesser law from the lesser revelation at Sinai brought about punishment, then wake up. Wake up. Wake up and realise how much more dangerous it is to ignore the gospel, to ignore the superior revelation given by the superior son. Look at the consequences that will come if you do. Friends, the illustration is right there in the passage. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a kayak before or a rowing boat on a, on a decent river in the, in the country. Maybe you've seen it on television. You know what happens if you stop paddling, don't you? You instantly begin to drift. You instantly begin to move backwards. And what's at the bottom? Well, you start picking up speed and eventually you hit rapids. And when you're in the rapids, it's all too late. You can't escape them. It's game over. Just as Donald Trump has warned Kim Jong-un, so God has warned us, friends. Pay careful attention. Wake up. Ignoring my salvation is catastrophic. So what does this, what does not listening carefully feel like? Do you know what it feels like? It feels like desiring other things more than God. If we're not actively pursuing our joy in God, then we're doing it in something else or someone else. You know, it's worth asking this morning. It's worth reflecting. Am I listening to the Son? Am I looking to the Son? Am I considering Him? Do I seek Him? Or am I just floating along like a lazy kayaker being taken down the rapids of destruction because of indifference? Friends, that's the consequence of not looking to the sun. We're not, we're not in a placid lake. We're on a river. And the river's moving fast. The world is pushing against us. We have three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And they are raging against us in this world. And the trouble is that we cannot see it. We are scarcely aware of what's really happening in the spiritual. When we stop to have a look back to our old way of life, we find ourselves in trouble. Many of you, my friends, are in the final year of, sorry, the final third of your life. You're getting close to the end of your race. Can I just humbly encourage you as a young guy this morning? Can, you, can I encourage you to start paddling harder? Don't, don't be the person who just puts the oar down for a little bit of relief. Don't, don't buy into the lie that uh, it'll be worth it, that it's better. 
Finish the journey well. Remember the one who's at the end of the river. Remember the reason why you're rowing in the first place. Why you're here. Why you keep coming to church every Sunday. Maybe you enjoy fellowship. You enjoy the relationship. You enjoy the music. But you're really doing it for Christ, aren't you? That's why you're doing it. That's why we're all here. Christ is the prize. So be like the Olympic rower. Think about the Olympic rower. They have trained for years for their race. They know they have a lot to lose if they throw in the oar. When they get to the end of it, the final 50 metres, they don't slow down. They go harder. They go as hard as they possibly can. They don't want regrets. They don't want to say, if only I I went a little harder in the last 50. Some of you are closer to my age. And the river is a whole lot longer for you and I. And uh, although we need the same determination as the Olympic rower, friends, we need the attitude of the marathon runner. We need to have stamina. We need to play the long game. There are decades for most of us ahead. The race has just begun. And maybe that's a daunting prospect this morning for you. To think that maybe there's 30 years of putting up with hardship to follow Jesus in this city. Let me encourage you to, uh, this morning to remind you to remember that God has given us tools and gifts to help us. He's given us this, the spiritual family and the 180 other people that are currently on the camp. He's given us them people as well. Not in this alone. He's given us this community to support us. He's given us a community to encourage us, to help us to battle those idols that we turn to. And he's given us something else. He's given us the spirits. And he's the one who prays on our behalf and we just don't know what to say anymore to God. All these supports are there to help us to avoid looking back and instead to look to the sun. Don't look back, look to the sun. That's the message this morning. The sun who reveals God, the sun who is superior to angels, the sun who we must listen to and not drift from. But maybe you are feeling really burdened right now. It feels like there's just this divine deal that you need to keep. If I look to the sun, if I keep listening carefully, I will be loved and I will be accepted by God. But if I fail, God will reject me. And that's that. And you know what? Our hearts are idol factories. And we're all going to muck this up. We're all going to turn to other things in the weeks to come. And you know this, and you're really worried. What hope is there then? Well, friends, consider the one that we've been thinking about all morning. Jesus never drifted. He never rested the oar, not once. He always stayed the course to perfection and he finished it. And you know what? If we're in him, then his perfect obedience is ours. You know this. But you know too it means we can't live as we please. Yet we can rest when we fail. And we will fail. But the one we're trying to listen to is sent a helper, the Spirit. And he's helping us. He's convicting us. He's helping us to recalibrate. To stop looking back. To keep looking forward. He's promised us, God has promised us, that if he has begun a good work in us at some point in the past, he will finish it. Do you realise how blessed we are? 
No matter what is happening in our life today, no matter how hard things are, how much we're worrying and suffering, we have something incredibly thankful to be, sorry, something incredible to be thankful for. The Son who reveals the living God, who is superior to angels. We're in Him and we're saved by Him. We're being sanctified by His Spirit and we're safe in His arms. If there's nothing to be grateful for this week, And friends, you can be grateful for that. Another week has begun. Make it your aim. Make it your goal to look forward to the Son who brings life. Would you join me in praying? Father in heaven, thank you so much for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that you revealed yourself through him. That you... You brought him on this earth to live the life we were meant to live and to die the death that we were meant to die and that he has been exalted at your right hand in power and he is reigning over the cosmos. Thank you, Father, that for those of us who are in him, we are safe. But God, would you help us to persevere when persecution comes? Help us to be faithful. Help us to support and encourage each other in the weeks and the months and the years to come. And may this all be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.